It's This Week in Sleeves with your host, the great lord, Joshua Regal and Sleazy K. This podcast has been rated Category 3. No one under 18 may be permitted. Let's talk some fucking chopsticks! Or more specifically, where the fuck they are. You know, it's the mystery of Catch Chain's dual opus, The Forbidden Legend, Sex and Chopsticks 1 and 2, adapted from classical Chinese, uh, the classical Chinese novel Jinping Mei, the director of The Eternal Evil of Asia brought back the category free period erotica in 2008 and 2009, and we're here to review them. And uh, my name is Lisa Kay, and with me as always is the great Lord Joshua Rigo. Where the chopsticks at, buddy? You don't want to know, brother. <laughs> what what are hidden there? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say they're coated with a fine, fine coat of lube. I still want to know. <laughs> wanted to know where they are. No, even post-credit sequence in either of the movies. Like, where are the chopsticks at? <laughs> yeah, it's actually kind of a disappointing. You know, I expected to see more uh, chopsticks being inserted into orifices in yeah. this movie. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer. Like Anthony Wong style, uh, right? Uh, untold story. Yeah, and if Chris Walken was here, he would have he would have said like, "This movie ain't got chopsticks. <laughs> it needs more." <laughs> <laughs> Where are the chopsticks in this movie? They're in that great ass over there. <laughs> <laughs> she got a great ass. Chopsticks sticking out of them. <laughs> it's. I don't think it's a mangled English title. It's. It's. I don't know where it comes from because everybody was sort of like, "Well, yeah, the movies are alright, but where are the chopsticks?" Huge chopsticks. Huge. Not. Not even huge. Huge. We're gonna build a wall of chopsticks. <laughs> At any rate, we got some movies and some background to uh, cover to set up some context, even for these uh, sleazy movies. So uh, let's uh, go through the contact information. This is this week in sleaze forty-eight. Uh, nonetheless, uh, on uh, these uh, Forbidden Legends, Sex and Chopsticks 1 and 2 movies, and uh, we are located on podcastonfire.com, along with all our other shows on uh, a variety of Hong Kong cinema, Japanese cinema, Korean cinema, we do commentaries, we do ninja movies, we do, as in the case of this show, sleazy movies, give them the voice they might deserve or might not deserve, but uh, hey, it's uh, it's work that's worth it, and uh, we'll let you know what we think of these movies in a short bit, but uh, regardless, uh, let us know where the chopsticks at. At podcastonfire at googlemail.com, our email address. Uh, we have a social media presence at the top of our website. You can reach them. Uh, the, it's the most move away to reach us. Uh, click the Facebook button to get to our Facebook page and uh, seek out our Facebook group uh, while you uh, while you leave a like and join the discussion, follow show updates, and so forth. Uh, click the Twitter button to follow our tweets and click the iTunes button if you want to subscribe to our feed and Leave a rating, even, and leave a comment uh, as well about what you thought of the show, or if you want to inform us where the chopsticks at, because uh, it's a it's the classical question now. Please, when, when... please email us and you know inform us where the chopsticks at. Yeah, you know, get some traffic going that and uh, solve this eternal mystery that way. Where the white women at? Where the chopsticks at? <laughs> like someone should do a meme of. Uh, of Dave Chappelle, you know, when he plays his uh, crackhead character. You know, people uh-huh. always do memes, uh, like, uh, whatever. I think they combine that, those words with something. With that image of Chappelle with, like, white powder on his face and uh, stuff like that. So, What was his, Bigums, I think his name? <laughs> I don't remember the name. I remember only that character. I like the show. I remember that character and the character, the blind character he played, that thought he was white and was a white supremacist uh, 
like leader. <laughs> that might then, have been Biggins. Fuck, I can't remember. Yeah. So he, he fought them. He fought like finally they're all gonna see me. I'm gonna be unmasked. People are ready to see to see me on the. Yep. Similarly, when Chappelle's crackhead character went on Fear Factor, he had no problems eating animal penises. And our first film that we're going to discuss opens with a character apparently eating what looks like penises. Yep, cooked. It's a it's a delicacy in in the context that is that it's a delicacy. But uh, but uh, but indeed, it looks uh, it looks like what it, what it probably was, you know. Very phallic. Uh, indeed, and uh, finally, click the Stitcher radio button to stream our shows. Uh, that leads you to their website presence, but they have applications available on the Apple App Store and Google Play, so seek us out on Stitcher. I review these kind of movies, among other things, on SoGoodReviews.com, my video hub for small basic uh, spoken audio reviews. is SlizzyKVideo.com, and my Twitter is at SoGoodReviews. Shelf life clothing uh, should probably print out up a t-shirt with some cool artwork, and on the front... It's going to say, wherever chopsticks at. <laughs> Just for the two of us, because no one else would want that Limited shirt. run, 5,000 <laughs> US dollars each to, do, to oh, waste geez. the presser's money like that. Totes worth it. Shelflifeclothing.com, place for uh, cool t-shirts, including the Caucasians t-shirt and hoodie uh, that you've uh, heard of if you followed uh, followed uh, the news uh, last year or so. And uh, Brian helps out uh, helped out this show by producing some music for us, so uh, hit him up. After a little delay and technical uh, technical trouble, the Trashy Trio uh, returned this past uh, September for the first time in a long time. So it's a, it is it is an ongoing podcast, believe it or not. But what is the Trashy Trio about, sir? Or the Trashy Duo, whichever you prefer. Uh, basically, these days, Wendy and I talking shit about crazy movies. Uh, last episode, we just covered kind of like just getting back in the swing of things, talking about random movies and. TV shows and whatever else that we watched recently, but in the next episode, we're kind of hoping, like, we had planned to do Mr. Scarface, the Fernando de Leo film, but now it's looking like, crossing our fingers, hopefully uh, we'll record this coming week and uh, take a look at Paul Schrader's Hardcore. Not, I've heard of Fernando de Leo, not had the best experiences so far, but uh, I have a feeling he made quite a lot and there, there's therefore there's going to be uneven quality. He made a movie, at least two movies with Jack uh, Palance, Palance mm-hmm. and I saw the second out of those, I can't remember the name of it, but it wasn't the one that uh, one has more claim than the other. And he, he was a cool bad guy, but it was one of those like low budget Dirty grimy Italian. It could have been Mr. Scarface for all I know. That one has palettes kind of like phoning it in for sure. Yeah, uh, it opens with a slow motion sequence. That's it. That's Is it. that that's the one? The... I didn't quite yeah. like that, as a matter of fact. <laughs> He's good, though. I, I, I really like his slate backs. You know, hair and, and uh, all of that. As charismatic as he normally is, he's really not in that movie. But, uh, you know, I like that movie mostly because of the strange fashion, the people riding around in dune buckies and shit. And uh, it, it's got a really good uh, vibe to it. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely up and down, that mm-hmm. one. Well, I'll be sure to tune in because uh, finally I've seen something that you, that you reviewed. So <laughs> there we are. Have you seen Hardcore? No, I haven't. I, I, I mean, I mean the t- the title sort of like I think I've heard of the title. But Turn actually... it off! Turn it off! Great uh, character actors screaming and 
you know, acting insane. So, I mean, that's what's got in common. Okay. Well, looking forward to that uh, coverage uh, as well when it happens. Uh, and uh, you can find show links to all that we just covered in the show post on podcastonfire.com. We're going to take a small musical break and then we're going to give it a rundown and uh, get into the first uh, section of the show. So sit tight and we'll be back. Welcome back, and uh, as for the rundown, we got a few sections coming up that I just wanted to talk about now, so you know what's uh, what's coming up in the show, and a timestamp stamp is available for each uh, each section in the show post, so if you want to fast forward to the review, uh, etc., there's your there's your guide. First, we have the Forbidden Legends section, Chopsticks 1 section, starting with background on its novel, and then we do our review of the first movie. There will be a break, and after that we conclude with our review of the second movie, capping off the Jinping May tale, and I'll explain where that Jinping May comes from in a little bit. But The Forbidden Legends, Sex and Chopsticks from 2008, and plot from my review of the film goes as follows. It's a little extract from from it. It, Ultimately, the core plot interest of Jinping May, uh, which depicts like the overall story arc, depicts depicts the downfall of the Shiman household. That will be covered in the sequel, uh, but uh, this first movie is the backstory to the character of Shiman Ching or Simon Ching, as uh, it says in the subtitles and the credits, played by Oscar Lam from a Chinese torture chamber story too. He was one of the guys that uh, Mark Cheng, uh, you know, uh, you know, took on and then uh, betrayed uh, in that movie. Uh, we follow his training from an early age under the watchful eyes of his father, played by Norman Choi from Duel to the Death. Uh, and in fact, uh, like, uh, he, he has not fallen from grace at all. He's a working actor, man. So it's not like... <laughs> it's just funny, you know, from Duel to the Death to this. To, eat, to eating penises on screen. <laughs> But yeah, anyway, in fact, the father's uh, profession is sexual in nature, so he passes on the secrets to winning the hearts and minds of women. That includes training his penis to the iron dick standard. You know, Tenacious D claimed that you would only need one cock push-up. That's all you need. But this film depicts it to be a daily thing. That's the requirement. Then the bigger the hole you make in the ground, the longer you progress in your training. So... That's uh, that's the ancient uh, view of cock push-ups. It's that kind of film, people. But uh, when an adult, uh, Shimen or Simon, goes out in the world to experience women, but he's slipping away from his father's good intentions into womanizing, power-hungry mode. So that's uh, what the first movie will cover. Based on the 100-chapter Chinese novel Jinping Mei, translated into English as The Plum in the Golden Vase, and written under the pseudonym... Lan Ling Xiao Xiao Cheng, which can be translated as the scoffing scholar of Lan Ling. Uh, theories about the author's identity has been put forth, including by British Orientalist Arthur Whaley, who wrote in his introduction to the 1942 translation that the strongest candidate would be an author called Xu Wei, who was a noted painter and a member of the so-called realistic Gong'an school of letters, and uh, the poetry style to Mr. Whaley seems similar to Xu Wei. Uh, at any rate, uh, the first uh, printing was in 1610, and the most widely read version came out in 1695, featuring additional authors' commentary and rewritten passages 
for um, attempts at uh, clarity. It was noted for its sexual content, uh, but uh, also its subtext about the characters receiving retribution for their sexual libertinism. As translator David Todd Roy noted, uh, you know that's a core thing of the book. It's not pornographic necessarily, so uh, it's a it's a, uh, it's a rise and fall indeed, and uh, how lust sort of <laughs> takes takes uh, characters out. Uh, but the na- the name of the book comes from uh, the name of the three central female characters: uh, Pan Jinlian, Golden Lotus, one of uh, Ximenxing's concubines; Li Pingyur, Little Vase, and another of the concubines; and Pang Chunmei. Which is spring plum blossoms, which is a young who was a young maid who rose to power in the family, and uh, English critics have praised the book, calling it a landmark in the development of the narrative art form, uh, featuring a modern technique. Uh, technically, it actually spins off from the Chinese novel The Water Margin. Uh, I have little to no experience with The Water Margin other than the uh, Shang Chi movie at Shaw Brothers, which was just this packed, way too packed movie uh, that you, you can really attached to it as a new viewer it just seemed like uh, there's some extracts from and from the book here's some characters from the book some kung fu action and bye i never really got uh, a sense of what the water margin was about but uh, it, it is uh, technically spins off from it uh, because it connects to the character of tiger slayer Wu song who's in the second movie avenging the murder of his uh, older brother um, who dies in the first movie and uh, he kills his uh, brother's former wife and uh, and murderer Pan Jin Lian. So that's that's sort of covered in uh, part two that we're going to talk of uh, this episode. Uh, so some story again, just to expand a little bit on it. And and this is spoilatory, but it is, uh, spoiler territory, but it is important for context uh, that we uh, focus on. Uh, what uh, happens uh, through and through. So to quote Wikipedia, Xi Jinping is a corrupt social climber and lustful merchant who is wealthy enough to marry six wives and concubines. After Pan Jinlian secretly murders her husband, uh, Xi Jinping takes her as one of his wives, and the story follows the domestic sexual struggles of the women within his household as they clamor for prestige and influence amidst the gradual decline of the Xi clan. And in the water margin, Ximen Xing was brutally killed in broad daylight by Wu Song. But in Jinping Mei, uh, the book, Ximen Xing in the end dies from an overdose of aphrodisiacs administered by Jin Lian in order to keep him aroused. In the second movie, he kind of does it to himself, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> nom, 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 Someone did something to him, but ultimately I... Yeah, they, they overdosed him, and then he was like, that's not enough. I need more. Exactly. And then uh, the intervening sections, uh, however, differs almost in every way from the water margin, but it's a cool little connection nonetheless. Uh, uh, and in the course of the novel, Shimon has 19 sexual partners, including his six, six wives and mistresses, and there are 72 detailed sexual episodes. Like porn. Old-timey porn, man. Uh, are you familiar with uh, Joe Bob Briggs at all? A movie reviewer, right? Uh, from the 80s. Yeah, eighties and nineties. He he used to have a show uh, called Monster Vision here in the states, and he would host horror movies and stuff like that. Well, he would always do. I think it was like called the Drive-In Counter or something like that. The Drive-In Total, and he'd always, you know, there are six boobs, four bloody, you know, <laughs> hands decapitated, two uh, sets of women mashed together in a car wreck. You know, he'd always do it. List this stupid shit. And, I don't know, that's what it reminds me of. 19 sexual partners, 6 wives and mistresses, and 72 detailed sexual episodes. 
I do remember he was in one of the... He had a cameo in one of the cutscenes from Texas Chainsaw 2. They, uh, mm. One of those rare scenes. There's no sound to that scene. So now that you talk about, talk about it, I think they even... The dialogue was about riffing on that fact that he uh, you know, counted how much content was in the movie. So they had, a li- they had a little cheeky cameo, probably rightly cut. I mean, it's a wild, funny movie, but probably rightly cut from the movie. His, his greatest claim to fame, acting-wise, has to be in Casino, where he played uh, oh. the dumbass who, like, moved the... Uh, he moves the tables around or something like that. There's certain... Oh, yeah, the, the guy who uh, Robert De Niro, like, doesn't want there, but he's... Yeah, guys either you're in on it, or, or you're an idiot, or both, and da-da-da, and he fires him. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Mr. Rothstein, I... I do apologize. Yeah, that yeah, guy. yeah. and, and his father was influential. Uh, exactly, so, uh, so he was he... tied in. Yeah, right on. I remember that. I'm a big fan of Casino, and I know you are as well. So, but yeah, we're not going to yeah. quote it. Quote it this episode. We can get stuck on that forever. Like <laughs> that uh, desert speech. That's you your special... Jew, motherfucker! Yeah. You, <laughs> <laughs> you work for me. It's <laughs> the only reason you're out here is because of me. <laughs> Without me, you personally. Every fucking wise guy's still around to take a piece of your fucking Jew ass. Then where you gonna go, huh? You're fucking warned, pal. Don't you ever go over my fucking head again, you Jew motherfucker, you. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. I can't remember your. Can't uh, believe you remember all of that. That's amazing. What the fuck you get off talking about people behind me, my back, going over my head? What, what people? You didn't think I was gonna find out? You said I'm bringing heat on you? I gotta listen to people because of your fucking shit? You're ordering me out? You better get your own fucking army, pal. Not surprisingly, this was a novel that was deemed pornographic and received official bans for extended periods of time, but reportedly was not considered low-class, but rather a classical work uh, the educated class would enjoy and perhaps get subtext out of, you know, before Pornhub and all. Like, uh, this is what they had to deal with. 100 chapters of detailed sexual episodes, but also... Something to think about. And, and one sound critic called, uh, called Zhang Shupo, you know, beautifully called out other critics by saying, those who deem it pornographic probably only read those passages anyway. Burn! Burn! <laughs> Sick burn! Like, even, in, uh, even back then, uh, there was uh, some sound people around. And noted also about, uh, because it's about the condemnation of sort of the whole ruling class, really. And uh, But it's also noted as being one of the four masterworks of Chinese literature, alongside the prestigious quartet of Romans of the Three Kingdoms, Water Margin, Journey to the West, and Dream of the Red Chamber. As uh, mentioned also, a variety of reprintings and translations have been uh, made available, including in 1942, in um, in French, uh, and it was also published uh, between 1949 and 52 in French, and reprinted in 1967. Got a new French translation in 1985, so they went back several times to sort of get it right, or maybe modernize it. Who knows? And it was also translated into English by David Todd Roy as the Plum in the Golden Vase, published in five volumes uh, over the course of 20 years, apparently 1993 and 2013. And this translation is considered to be the most complete and best English version of uh, Jinping Mei. But uh, anyway, back to uh, Jinping Mei. Not unexpectedly, movies prior to Cash Chin's two volumes were made, including in 1969 in Japan as The Concubines, aka The Notorious Concubines, uh, which was released by Something Weird Video at one point, so it's not uh, particularly uh, obscure. 
It was also made in Hong Kong by Li Han Shang uh, twice. Uh, first at Shaw Brothers as the Golden Lotus in 1974, and again by Li Han Shang in 1991 as Golden Lotus Love and Desire, featuring uh, Tan Lap Man as Shimen Ching, and he fits that role like a motherfucker. Uh, if you see him, that that's he j- just got that fucking smarmy fucking arms, Lisa. I love it. I'm gonna get more of it. He's that kind of guy. And Charlie Shaw appears in a minor role. Um, I think he plays a doctor, but not like... Uh, he's not particularly sleazy and, uh, or anything. And it is a period effort that Charlie looks very, very regal, as a matter of fact. And and also, uh, Tan Lap Man features, featured in um, a series of movies. Uh, I've not yet gotten the grasp of what the dealio is here, because uh, it, it connects to 1996. And uh, if you type in Jinping Mei... On Hong Kong Movie Database, uh, you got tons of uh, hits. You know, it suggests that they did six movies, which, with the first, uh, will be named Jinping Mei on my version, but it's also listed as new Jinping Mei. But I also have a VCD of that first uh, first one, and I scan through it, and it looks like a different edit of the first movie. But it's not a TV thing. It looks like they, they made six movies. So I'm not got a full grasp of uh, what the deal was if they made six Full movies that really expanded the story well. I mean, the first one was okay. It was kind of it, it's a category three movie. You know, it feels like it too. So it wasn't um, a high budget, widescreen, big scope epic adventure. But it it was on someone's mind in 1996 to um, to depict uh, Jinping Mei. And yes, six movies might make sense. It's 100 chapters after all, and. Uh, 72 detailed sexual episodes. <laughs> so you gotta have six movies for that now. Yeah. Uh, so there's also a graphic novel by a novelist, uh, Magnus, loosely based on Jinping Mei, and even a 2014 Hong Kong musical adapted by George Chang. So uh, it's not like uh, they're ashamed of this or anything. It uh, pops up every now and again. So that's a backdrop. Let's uh, do some quick uh, bite-sized uh, reviewing. First of all, what did you think of the Forbidden Legends Sex and Chopsticks 1, if you want to do uh, a brief opinion of the first one separate from the second? Uh, it's hard to really split the movies up, you know? Uh, it's, I mean, when the way they did split it up is very interesting because uh, you sit there, the first film is just you kind of grow attached to the protagonist and you kind of feel for him they establish him as a hero through the majority of the film and then just there's this very sudden kind of turn as you know i guess he starts getting his lustful ways fulfilled and he just becomes and and that's where dark part two comes in it's uh it's a pulling the rug out from us if we did like him yeah like you guys did like this guy well guess what he's fucking evil (laughs) and that's basically where the movie takes off Definitely they, they split them up in an interesting way um, as far as which one's the more fun film. Probably this one. I would say the first one's uh, the... You can be a little bit more lighthearted about it, so I, I find it the more enjoyable of the two. Okay, and I think it's a quite a strong and focused piece of storytelling, actually. It, and it makes sense that this is contained on its own because it is uh, it is uh, the lighter side and uh, the development up to a a logical point and uh, a point where things change you know we we end on sort of an open uh, an open end and uh, 
so it's definitely a part one but uh, it's even strong as a production uh, looks good it also neatly wanders between goofy adult sides and uh, also developing our main character at the same time uh, visually it sticks with you i think it's uh, as i said a well shot movie and beautiful shot movie I mean, it's not a high budget movie people but it definitely uh, looks uh, looks pretty pretty glorious and aside from some padding for the end uh, uh, all in all a nice, nice throwback to the 90s as made in 2008 and the uh, cash chin Still had it. Yeah. You know, my girlfriend actually sat down watching the majority of the movies with me, and she was like, you know, this this movie looks better than the, most of the movies you watch. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Finally, Ken set him up with something that was watchable for normal, normal <laughs> human beings. But you're right, it, it's certainly not a little, uh, like a dodgy little grandy film. Uh, that's certainly. Uh, goofy Tone, as we said, it's set also pretty early. Talk Norman Choi, therefore. Um, what's uh, what do you think of Norman Choi in this movie, and uh, what do you remember of his uh, performance? Is this the is it the first frame where he's eating on something, or is it uh, the last frame? This is like the first frame of the movie. We open on him, and it's so. The both movies use um, voiceover narrative, kind of just to move the plot along, to the point where it's not done that great you know they always say that you know you should show instead of tell your audience what you're doing and this is definitely one of those movies where you know it's sort of just open hi i'm shim and ching and this is me and uh, this is my father so it's it's a little bit it's a bit like that playful but uh not necessarily needed no not at all and like yeah his character is basically says you know my dad always ate strange things i wasn't allowed to eat and uh he told me i'd understand it later and he's holding you know eating what looks like a i don't know what the fuck like a giant octopus dick or something i don't know uh an animal's penis of some sort yeah um i don't know and he looks at it sort of like he picks it up slowly and looks at it sort of like oh (laughs) <laughs> this is this is gonna be awesome. <laughs> He's loving it for sure. You know, as his uh, ladies stand, you know, stand on either side of him, and you know, enjoy his eating this horrifying looking meal. It looks so horrifying, dude, and it's thick too. And therefore, uh-huh. like when he chews into it, it's not like he just bites it off really quickly. It's sort of like yeah, oh yeah, like a, like a calamari or something like that, chewy looking shit, and like. It has a strange shape to it too, like a dog's dick or something, you know. But, <laughs> but, but gigantic, of course. You know, you wouldn't need a small penis. So the tone is set, and you got this dopey-looking kid looking on, like wishing he would eat that stuff, as you said. So he's so innocent at this point. Brain dead looking too. The yeah. kid oh. is very <laughs> mouth is like halfway agape, and he's just staring into nothingness, like a black hole in his eyes. But anyway. So yeah, we get that, and then uh, the next great scene with him is, uh, of course, meet Simon's mother. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we should also st- state that uh, Norman Joy's character, you know, he's a sexologist, as the su- subtitles uh-huh. say, and he's working hard, according to the VO, to have sexual pleasure without moral constraint. Okay, hmm. That's uh, a little bit like dressing, dressing fooling up in a, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But he, he, he is trying to teach him some kind of morals and ethics, uh, because um, you know, as we get, get into, into it, he's uh, denying him sexual pleasure, essentially, because he needs to learn, learn a thing or two before he, before he does, uh, you know, uh, as an adult. You know, 
as a piece of like uh, storytelling, you know, this section of the movie probably could have been stronger and maybe established more like uh, Ching's ability or willingness to, you know, disobey modern morals and stuff like that just in the, the for the sake of pleasure or what have you. And it, it could have been more established probably, you know, why he would so easily go to murder later. Yeah, I, I agree. That's uh, we all of a sudden we're there. Uh, right. when he's uh, when he's an adult. I thoroughly agree on that. But still Cash Chin is into his tone right away. I think it's 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 quite a successful tone. I like to see this goofy tone in a two thousand and eight movie and and of course many productions could do the costumes and the sets, but many production would also look flat right right but uh the dop ross clarkson yes that that, that is a westerner indeed he's worked for ringo lamb a couple of times including on ringo lamb's last movie today and with cash chin at the uh, three times uh these two movies and the 33 d invader and it's all shot professionally like you read about so attention to detail to make the shots look good rather than just films on boring legs which is the majority of the Category 3 movies out there. So, uh, And it's also sort of nicely played because um, the scene where Norman Choi, you know, the sex scene between him and his uh, terminally ill wife, one of the many Japanese actresses on, on the show, you know, it's it's we know why it's there. It's for the lads. But it's kind of... It shows what I like about these movies, the attention to making erotic... Uh, erotic... You know, just mm. no like the <laughs> like 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 Charlie Cho or Charlie whoever Cho. would do. So it's sort of nicely played, but obviously I don't know if it's medically sort of like performing <laughs> acupuncture on her breasts in order for her to achieve her last orgasm and then she dies in her arms. I mean, that's it's movies probably, but it's played oddly sincere in my opinion. And Norman Choi is. is actually really good in this scene. He looks sort of yeah, he sort sort of looks like the this. Well, this is the last time I'll. I'll have sex with her, and uh, yeah. <laughs> so, well, what do you think of the of the whole thing? I thought, you know, I agree with you that it's played sincerely, and uh, you know, it is a, a, an attempt to be erotic, and uh, all of those things are successful. You know, within the context of the story, though, it, it's fairly silly and uh, kind of odd and strange, like you know, because. He, the wife is, you know, begging for one last orgasm. You know, of course, you're terminally ill. And, of course, she's terminally ill and looks, you know, beautiful. She had nothing on her looks sick whatsoever. She's not even malnourished. She's got gigantic breasts. She's a nice, full, healthy-looking woman. <laughs> full, yeah. Yeah, full, and, like, uh, like no twig or anything. Just no. a nice-looking, beautiful woman, man. Like, And uh, so he has sex with her. She immediately dies, and immediately he walks out of the room and speaks to his son is like, and like, Hey, you know, now it's time to talk to you about the birds and the bees. So come in and look at all my sex toys and we're going to talk about perfect timing. You know, I mean, and, 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 and it's sort of classical Hong Kong cinema because it switches to, you know, the whole train training montage, essentially, right. you know, jump right into it. And, uh, you know, I thought it was interesting too, that they go into not only the dick pushups and stuff like that, but you're also getting some martial arts training, which, you know, is another interesting part of the movie because they do have, uh, fight scenes throughout and they're better done than expected. Yeah. Oscar Lamb is not a martial artist, but still like it's, it's sort of fun while, while it's there. Uh, definitely. A lot of times it, it is weird. Like you, you watch movies like this where like, uh, you know, primarily sex is the main 
theme, but, you know, they'll have, like, an action sequence, but it's usually poorly done, you know? But the, this, you know, they actually attempted and made it, uh, the action sequences fairly uh, interesting. Like, uh, you know, it's it's interesting jumping forward way later in the film, and one of the other sequences that builds our, uh, you know, Simon as, like, a hero, where he doubles back to go grab uh, his sex book or whatever from the monastery that he had stayed at, this nunnery, but uh, he, he stumbles across a woman being attempted to be raped, and he saves her life and what have you. And what we get is a pretty, you know, swift, you know, action sequence with some nice wire work and things like that. Um, but yeah, so the action sequences are well done. But but it's also like, is it still appealing that a Hong Kong movie is so wild with his moods? Is it still appealing as a in a 2008 production that we go from wife dies, cock holes in the ground, and and a lot of, and a couple of cum jokes later on as well? Like, is that still charming and fun? It's more charming, I find, because it's a 2008 film, you know? Because this stuff had been abandoned for so long, it's it's enjoyable to see a movie that just doesn't seem to care. And it, it, it's almost, it's incredibly opportunistic. Like, you know, the movie's been going too long. We need a sex scene. Or, you know, we need something. We need some action. Or, you know, make this dude's dick explode. Make this, you know, come out in this sequence, you know? So it's, it's, it's like the movie has ADD, you know? And that's uh, enjoyable. It is very much enjoyable, and uh, I also, you know, looking at Cash Chin, his older movies, Eternal Evolution and so forth, versus 33 D Invader, this, it looks like he never lost his touch. It's just that he doesn't make these movies on a constant basis for whatever, mm-hmm. for whatever reasons, uh, because it's not forced 08, 09 stuff, trying desperately to be goofy 90s uh, category free, and I, I think he's the guy to to actually be in charge of this and he's also kind of in charge of his own his own destiny in terms of uh, a behind the scenes person he was also the producer of the film so it's not there's a goon for hire that desperately wants work or anything he tries to craft something uh, the, you know personal and uh, worthwhile and sincere i love uh and uh, yeah as the goofy stuff starts <laughs> i just love you know speaking of he he still got the touch man we got penis cal- calligraphy here it's just brilliantly how he introduces it simon ching you know attaches this brush to his dick and then does calligraphy with it mm-hmm. and I, i'm just sort of i i smile at that stuff because it is it is done with the right st- touch you know he's got the stuff and uh <laughs> You got the power. Yeah. Join it. There you go. <laughs> I only know it from Boogie Nights when uh, Marky Mark sings sings it it's deliberately bad. After all he said it, but it's not that good. <laughs> and you see John C. Riley in the booth there behind Michael Eel. Penn. Like, yeah. <laughs> did you know that's Michael Penn, Sean Penn's brother? Well, the, the, uh, the studio yeah. engineer, uh, Michael yeah. Penn is uh, well, is a great movie. Yeah, the curly-haired guy. Uh, he's, a great, he's a great musician, Michael Penn, by the way. So. That, that is a great tangent in that movie. Because, like, up until that point, you know, there's been a couple of little, like, you know, laughs and stuff like that in Boogie Nights. But then when they cut to that, it's so fucking out of place and strange. And hilarious, of course. It, it's, uh, it's the coke period where they pursue these different, mm-hmm. different, uh, different uh, arenas. The movie so. goes from being, like, uh, Cohen Brothers style of like you know very moderately like humorous you know just being funny but being true to the characters to being 
fucking let's let John C. Riley and uh, and let them just go fucking crazy in this sequence and probably make everything up as they go along. And it's, I mean, if if anything, it's a big Goodfellas uh, uh, homage as well. Look at that movie, Goodfellas touches everywhere <laughs> essentially. <laughs> And uh, going back to Sex and Chopsticks, uh, Oscar Lamb, our lead, is game. Uh, but he's not the hidden gem of leading actors or anything, but he, he understands the tone. And uh, he is, you know, performs the physical gags very well. I mean, at one point, uh, the the woman they bring in to uh, educate him, uh, which turns out to be the prostitute, uh, because his father needs to teach him a lesson. You know, uh, she's uh, uh, reciting poetry to him while he's sitting behind the table you know, just, you know, tugging his cock because he's so sexually frustrated. And after a while, you know, he comes and we see a big old shot of cum on the floor. And someone slips on it, of course. Waka, waka, waka. And I have to say, I don't think, I don't think you could have done this, Immanitis. It seems like the senses got a bit more relaxed with uh, body fluids on screen, <laughs> even if it's for comedy. And, uh, you know, even 3D Sex and Sang could get away with it. But it's so well-timed, that joke, I think. When he slips on it, you know he's gonna. But, um, <laughs> and, and and that lovely montage of him just tugging at every moment he can. You know, when he, use, when he uses the pottery lids, he puts them against himself and rubs, like, the top of the pottery lids and thinking that's a nipple. He comes in one of the pots and puts it away. <laughs> <laughs> and it's quite underplayed and brilliant you know he right. just sort of when he's done he puts it back carefully and walks away off screen <laughs> it's insane because he's masturbating in front of everyone in his house you know no <laughs> one cares no one says anything about it and then one of my favorite bits is when he's in the bed uh doing all these bizarre masturbatory uh stances and like one of them he goes into the thinker one of my favorites yeah, I'm, I'm very naive. I don't know anything about these things, Joshua. The thinker, like uh, I never leave my uh, house. It's the classic uh, stone marble statue of the man who sits uh, in you know pond. Oh yeah, gotcha, he, gotcha. I know. The know. thinker. He literally does that stance while masturbating, <laughs> <laughs> and he also like does this thing where he's laying on his neck, basically with his feet in the air as he masturbates towards his face. Which is probably not the Ew. best idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's desperate for you. Got to come. You know, he's full of cum by that point. You know. <laughs> yeah. But but I think I don't know if you agree. I mean, if you think back on Eternal Evolution and and fruit is swelling, you know, he's uh, the category three version of Big and uh, things like that. If anything, I think Cash Chain has gotten better. It's not frenzy akin to Eternal Evil, but he's not this filmmaker that was just good at that point. That when they bring him out again, it's depressing all of a sudden. I think he emerges with the same skill. At the very least, even if it's not better, he emerges with the same skill. And I think that skill has always been high anyway. So so what do you think in general about that? If you think back to Eternal Evil of Asia and its frenzy. Yeah, I think, and I think it's just a shame that, uh, you know, these type of films seem to have been lost at some point, you know? Like this type of crazy, uh, sex-obsessed crazy psychosis you know and film kind of was lost and it's good to see that somebody still you know has both the potential to make great you know cinema and also fucking 
loony bad shit shit like yeah. this. Even 33D Invader, as dopey as that was, I, I thought it was genuinely fun and had the, the right dopey tone to it. And so, mm-hmm. like, oh, Sa- like Samuel Lung with the cactus dick before the end of the movie <laughs> and things like that. That's just wild, wild, uh, wild stuff, man. And uh, it's rare, but it, uh, it uh, punches through every now and again. Even if 3D Sex and Sam was the only sort of movie that became the whole topic and these right. movies and uh, 33d invader and what have you really never punched through uh, commercially i think well i don't think we'll you know ever see like a continuation of the you know true crime films that we saw in the 90s it's good to at least see that these type of movies can still be made you know and apparently turn a buck you know yeah at least uh hopefully it didn't sink anyone to make these two movies uh you know make it two movies you know hopefully it made something uh you know the the the, the whole twist that norman Choi orchestrates well he puts this woman in in the household that falls in love so to say with mm-hmm. simon and he thinks uh, she's wonderful and she says he's got the biggest dick uh, ever and he's yeah. super great and then it turns out he's a prostitute planted there and she says that you're super small and you're not great bye <laughs> what, what do you think of that moral of the story? I mean, it's a great twist, I think, as the father is teaching something. I don't know. <laughs> Fucking terrible lesson. You know, she even says, I think, in the note, and uh, it says, it is better to hurt others than be hurt yourself. It's like, okay, that's freaking horrible. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I guess it's sort of like that set Simon on the path, but was it really right. needed? Was that path really needed? I mean, the father didn't seem like evil personified. Uh, he, right. It seems like he had some morals and ethics. So I was never sure about the, what his teachings were about. Yeah, and I thought it was just odd that like he immediately takes that as the son does and it's just like, "Yes, dad, you're right." I'm, you know, and then like sets off and never has any problems forgiving his father or anything like that. And when his father eventually passes later in the movie, you know, he takes it really hard and loves his dad. And, you know, it's like, okay, well, the girl you just, the first woman you love turned out to be a setup by your dad just to get you laid and fuck you over. You know, it's weird. It is a bit weird, but uh, we move into the adult, uh, more of the adult life of uh, of Shim and Ching. He meets. Uh, uh, I'm going to check the name of the prostitute, uh, uh, pro, uh, concubine, Pilot. future concubine. Uh, now I'm thinking of Moon, Moon, the the bald, uh, the bald girl initially on the poster. You know, he he meets her, and uh, there's some wonderful uh, dopey gags here about uh, because she's a monk and she's been taught uh, that uh, oh, men have snakes all over their body. And at, at one point, she like uh, she examines him, and indeed, she finds a snake. I mean, his penis. And what does she use to examine him? Uh, well, well yeah, that's the chopsticks, I guess. But Jesus, put put it in the English title, and you expect more than a little. Like I got one in one scene. <laughs> it's there for about five seconds. Exactly. But she does make poison come out of it. Obviously, the penis as her, you know, teacher as Zed or whatever. You know, she she accidentally makes him come and all of that. So in five seconds with a pair of chopsticks. Yeah, I think this section, you know, looking at her reactions and how this uh, is played. If you think about it, Joshua, it's not terribly loud and broad. It seems to play even like graphic and dopey scenes like this as t- slightly natural and keep the reactions to a realistic sort of level. No one goes like ah yeah, and, and uh-huh. you know. But there are broad jokes. I mean, Samuel Lung as one of the assistants, I suppose, that always follows uh, Simon around. What's the main joke? 
in his scenes, the physical joke that they sort of ride throughout the two movies. If you're familiar with Idiocracy, there's a famous... I rewatched it a couple of months ago. <laughs> I watched it a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. There's a famous uh, television program that they uh, <laughs> watch in that movie. It's, it's called... Just... Ow, my balls. <laughs> and that's, that's what... Ow, my balls. Ow, <laughs> watching all my balls. <laughs> the best TV show in that, uh, in that uh, alternate universe or that f- future universe. <laughs> Ow, my balls. And that, that's what he does. Gets kicked in the balls, stepped on his balls. Balls, you know, damage galore. Yeah, he's not particularly well cared for. He's there to he's there as a punching bag, essentially. And what's funny is the movie includes fucking the craziest sound effects, like these old hackneyed ass sound effects. Every time he gets hit in the nuts, you hear birds chirping, yes, like you someone, do. like like from uh, an old Looney Tunes cartoon when somebody gets hit over the head or whatever, and you hear the birds like you know going around their head. You hear that noise whenever he gets his ball stepped on. So so yes, it. it it has like select those moments are like broad but still like overall there's a sense of like cashin reeling reactions in you know he, he you know he channels the cartoon every now and again rather than everybody acting like loons all throughout the movie the the whole sex scene with uh, Simon and uh, Moon who who's a virgin of course being a monk it's a long sex scene, but it has intent and structure to it. That the latter sex scene, some of them are padding, but this one I thought it earns it earns being long because Simon at this point, you know, he 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 has a forceful nature to him, yes, but he's more thoughtful, right? Right, and it, you know, and his father always put in, you know, the winning woman's heart is the key to good sex, et cetera, et cetera. And he does kind of like with her, you know, he takes it slow and, you know. But he's the kind of man, though, that says, now kiss my dick. It's lovely. (laughs) (laughs) Dude. Oh, I've done this. What will you do for me in return? (laughs) Exactly. Now it's your turn. You know, just imagine that this is a scene that probably took a good two or three days to shoot because it has tons of shots set up. There's foreground elements, obviously, being the actors. There's background elements having to look good. So Cash Chin and Ross Clarkson, they're not point-and-shoot crappy directors and DOPs here. This is stuff that is planned, right? It's not like, uh, then turn the camera a little bit that way. Uh, yes, and then move in and move out and cut print moving on. Which is what you see in all those dodgy Category 3 movies where sex scenes take place in these depressing-looking houses or depressing-looking hotels. And the cameraman sort of just tilt the camera, tilt it back, play some crappy saxophone on the soundtrack, and then it's gone. Then we're gone, you know? But so I, I think, um, you know, we're still on board with Simon at this point, and he's a little bit more thoughtful, And uh, but then money enters the whole thing. I, I guess that's the quick transition. Like, now he's father's dead, he has power and influence. Um, gonna go and be powerful and influential. So, so I guess it's not, uh, it's not terribly um, uh, a, a gradual uh, switch, I suppose. Uh, so I think the former half is stronger in that regard. Uh, seeing how how he gradually you know goes from the, the dope looking kid to the sexually frustrated young man, but this switch is like uh, he always wanted to go to a morally corrupt place, and this is his chance. Now he has money. I I can buy influence. You know, to- totally buy influence. And I'm not sure it's all. Both the movies are watchable to follow him, but and it has it's part of the rise and fall structure of it all. 
but, but I, I think you're right and spot on that it's sort of um, it's a bit uh, glanced over and quick this transition yeah I know up until really like up until murder kind of enters the plot you're kind of still you're still with the character you know yeah he has the money but you don't you don't really see a lot of like little little things that might you know start veering you away from the character you know like in a in a normal movie i guess a hollywood movie you'd probably get sequences where okay well now he's got all this money and maybe he starts ripping a couple of people off maybe we see him becoming more infatuated with his own money but instead we get like fun little sequences with him going to the brothel and uh you know uh, him using his sex as like a uh martial art where he, you know, fights the head mistress and, you know, you, you know, flips her around. All Those are things that all make the character seem, you know, funny and cool, and, you know, interesting. And, you know, you don't really get a sense that this is a guy who's becoming power mad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, even after stating in VO that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm now going to buy power and influence, you still got that bit of a wirefu fight sex scenes but done in 08 you know he can't rival chinese torture chamber story mind you but they sort of try but this could i mean i've even thought i was like man you know if you cut this piece out this could become a little viral video you know mm-hmm. totally it just as much as like uh sex and zen uh 3d like the whole snake penis sequence and stuff like that you know that that sort of thing like i saw people posting that uh the other day on the internet like a gif of it and they're like oh look you know what is this this is amazing <laughs> you know what a fun camera playtime they're having in that particular sex scene the wire sex scene because you you see uh not his pov but her pov as as he, she's riding him she's not really riding him because he's how am i going to explain this she's bouncing on top of him like up in the air and onto the dick Five up feet. in the air up in the dick uh, on the dick and he's sort of he looks at he looks at her. He's loving it because he he's got the he he's got this under control. She's gonna land perfectly fine, each and every time. And doesn't he? She like just ex, doesn't that cage just explode and she flies the cage out of it? Explodes. <laughs> yes, and she flies across the room, hitting the wall basically, and loving every second of it. So yeah, it's a uh, it's a bit pushing. Um, it 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 mixes a little bit. Like uh, yes, he's on his way to uh, to what we see in part two this fun and camera playtime as i said and also pushing boundaries i think because there's some nearly i mean my mind went there butt to butt dildo sex scene or rubbing of a wooden dildo against each other with the butts facing each other kind of thing and i think that that's i don't know i'm thinking back to the 90s again and I'm not sure, like, there is such a really graphic sex scene in Sex and Zen, uh, about to butt one, right? But still, it wasn't really common, and it seems like 08 has a little bit more freedom to, um, you know, they strategically place everything, of course. It doesn't look like they have the dildos, they're just rubbing it against, right. uh, against the vagina. So, But still, there's some mildly pushing boundaries type of stuff going on here. And turn the sex scene too, like... Uh... You know, he, he's having sex with one girl, doggy style, and then at the same time, with his left hand, he has the dildo that he's, you know, shoving into the other girl. And But, you know, it's kind of funny, like, if you really watch the scene and you want to nitpick. It's like pointing downwards. Right, and you can see the girl, like, she's supposed to be just grabbing her vagina or rubbing her clit or whatever, but she's, like, holding the other end of it, obviously. 
so that he can sit there and they, they're playing tug of war essentially underneath her body with the damn dildo. And I think my only note uh, left here is that uh, I, I think, you know, it is part one. They have the opportunity to uh, d- depict this part of his life in in uh, a leisurely pace, I suppose. It's not supposed to contain the fall. But I think one or two of the sex scenes towards the end, it, it uh, became a little bit of a padding issue for me. I wasn't as interested anymore to have a long sex scenes after that big one earlier in the movie. Um, so I, I think a good 10 minutes probably could have been taken out of this movie, to be uh, to be honest. Uh, and uh, as we said, it ends sort of goofy, but uh, ends on that murder that's, that's going to set up characters wanting revenge in part two. And I, I, I'm not sure it's a comedic, like, tour de force or anything. It's sort of, like, dopey. Uh, Frankie M, mm, uh, not Francis M, mm, but uh, Frankie M, mm, uh, is this... Uh, He's not. A, he's missing his legs, isn't he? Isn't he? Is he a dwarf or a small person? He's a dwarf. Person? Yeah. And, uh, and Frankie and Frankie mm, isn't. By the way. Yeah. No. And and they they do a really poor job of making him look like a dwarf because you can see that he's just a guy on his knees. <laughs> it's great though. It's sort of dopey, but I, I I didn't like buy necessarily the comedic scenario of them. Uh, I mean, they're having sex in his presence because he's a sound sleeper. So uh, so the uh, the Violetta or Lotus, uh, she says, oh, well, we can totally have sex with him, and then ultimately they poison him, I think, or something like that. Uh, I I, ju- I just wasn't super interested by that point, but I know I know the story beat needs to be there because it's a crucial story beat in the book. It's a very uh, Benny Hill esque bit with like literal like fast motion and stuff like that to show him he gets up sleepwalking around the room and they're having sex on the table and like he keeps having to move and adjust to different positions and stuff so that he doesn't actually touch him they're like playing marco polo or something like that you know and and then we cut away from that and you know oh he eventually got sick and because he got sick we had the chance to poison him da 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 yeah, but it's a decent uh... <laughs> you're rescoring okay. the movie in real time <laughs> yes <laughs> but um you know when all is said and done uh, maybe as a final note uh, good setup for for part two like uh, you you got the character in place now and the ladies in place so well, what do you think Oh, it's definitely a good setup for the second one. Uh, even still, you know, because I was just when I watched the movie, like the first one, I'm like, ah, it's like, well, maybe I was like, maybe they're just, you know, glancing over the fact that they just committed murder for this. I'm like, you know, maybe he's still a, you know, a good character or something like that. You know, maybe they'll wrong, uh, wrong, yeah. <laughs> because when part two comes around, he just becomes a Shaw Brothers villain for sure. <laughs> <laughs> he becomes the the fucking crazy dad from Crippled Avengers, essentially. You know. Oh wow! What a, what a wonderful connection. <laughs> yeah, you you fucked up when you fucked with my family. Now I'm gonna kill everyone in the world. Anyone who looked at Chen Quan Tai like even mildly, like, oh, is that the guy? Kill him! Totally kill him! I get him. <laughs> he looked at me in the wrong way. Exactly. It's basically what happens. So uh, that's the end of my notes, buddy. Anything you want to mention before we take a break and move on to part two? I just like to mention the fact that it's it's interesting. You, you saw a lot of it in the '90s. Well, a little bit of it in the '90s with like uh, Hong Kong films importing like AV actresses from Japan. Yeah, like Rina Markami and Shigako Yama. But like this movie and like a lot of these recent ones have really been doing it a lot, importing these AV actresses. Because no one wants to do nudity anymore in Hong Kong. They yeah. barely anyone. In the Gigolo, like well, someone in the supporting cast did. 
but none of the none of the ladies uh, in in the main roles. No, it's just it, that generation is. That's not what this generation is about. You know, of uh, young women. All of his uh, concubines in the movie. I, I didn't look up Plum, but I know Moon. Plum is the only Hong Kong actors in the movie. Winnie Lung, and she doesn't do nudity in in um, in either this one or part two. Yeah, Moon, Violetta, Lotus are all. All AV actresses, and in fact, Lotus I looked up. Uh, she starred in that classic amongst classics, uh, Hyper Digital Mosaic Cream Pie Orgy Four Hours. <laughs> so, if What's anyone, that about? <laughs> if anyone's looking for you know a, a great piece of uh, cinema, Hyper Digital Mosaic Cream Pie Orgy Four Hours from two thousand eight. It's uh, it's right there. That's where they that's where they saw her and cast her in this one. <laughs> exactly. But like, having said that, they all look wonderful. They look great. They're very be- beautiful. They're not, as I said, disturbingly looking twigs of uh, you know. They they they. She is a little bit uh, thinner than the other ones, and but uh, I I think they were all well cast. They decent enough actresses, not for emotions, mind you, but they look great. They, so I think they they were well chosen and imported, if you will. I guess the biggest difference from these films and films of old is just the percentage of fake breasts on screen. Because, they, I mean, even Lotus, you can tell because she's so thin and her breasts, which aren't huge, but they stick out because, of, you know, you see all of her ribs and then she's got these perfectly symmetrical breasts, the C cups or something like that. You know, it's like even she has fake boobs but anyway oh and my other note is that uh, he gives a girl uh, a foot blowjob that. no setup for that that's Taking all off the list know. yep there it no. needs to be in there okay as for availability it was released on both uh, dvd and blu-ray in hong kong by joy sales and uh, the dual pack blu-ray both movies is listed as out of print and dvds are out of stock but Currently, at the yes age of a DDD house, have good to go stock status for individual Blu ray releases for one and two. So, fingers crossed, they're still out there. Still have the DVDs. The first one, it wasn't a big special edition or anything, regular DVD case, but inside of it, you had both a calendar with um, nude, uh, nude shots from the movie, but also <laughs> a condom. There you go, baby. And uh, expectedly, that condom has never been used. <laughs> <laughs> Just to give you an insight into my life, <laughs> and it's now it's now past its uh, past its uh, date, if you will. So it'll be you basically open it up and powder comes out. <laughs> oh yeah, that's probably not a good idea. Then for part two, they included a, a a pen where you could pull out like a banner or flag thing that contained a like a nude poster shot, right? That that had nudity rather than. What's on the DVD where things are more obscured and stuff. So, so they didn't, uh, they didn't put, they didn't provide like two condoms with this one. No, just a pen. I wore out, I wore out that pen week one. Believe me. <laughs> like pulling it in and out, in and out. Like look at that, nude, not nude, nude, not nude. Yeah, you really can't order one movie without the other. This is like even though they're two movies, it's basically one long movie. You know, you, you have to have both. Yeah, like part one op- uh, ends with. A preview for part two so it's uh it's definitely it's like back to the future two and three you know you can't watch one without the other great scott he compared it to back to the future <laughs> marty, marty we gotta go we gotta go back and change change, change this podcast <laughs> <laughs> 
He said he, he said it's connected to, to our movie. We gotta change it, Marty. He made a terrible connection, Marty. We've gotta go back. They're assholes. <laughs> what happened to our kids, Doc? Are they assholes? Let's take a break and let's talk of the fall of the She-Man household in the Forbidden Legends, Sex and Chopsticks 2 from 2009. Everybody's back, of course. They shot the, the simultaneously, released a year apart, and this is the dark chapter, uh, ending it all. So we'll be right back. Marty, he created the entire casino desert sequence. We've got to go back and stop him. Welcome back, and we uh, conclude the Forbidden Legends Sex and Chopsticks uh, saga by reviewing the second movie in the same episode here, giving you the entire the entire scope uh, immediately. So, uh, 2009 uh, was uh, when this came out, and plot from my review of the film, focusing on the sexual adventures of Shiman Ching or Simon Ching in the subtitles, uh, a seriously well-trained sexual being. His father was played by uh, old-school legend Norman Choi, uh, who taught him uh, cock push-ups in order to reach the Iron Dick standard. So again, it's that kind of movie. Eventually, all this uh, womanizing leads to hunger for power, hunger for multiple women, and we ended the first movie with... Uh, Shimen uh, Ching, played by Oscar Lam, along with his concubine Lotus, played by Hayakawa Serena, murdering her husband, played by Frankie. Mm, Frankie. Uh, the story is therefore on its way to feature the inner going ons and downfall of the Shimen household, seemingly uh, the centerpiece of the novel that uh, deals with uh, the sexual power struggles of the many women of, uh, of Simon's. Uh, not only Simon wants to feel powerful and influential uh, therefore in the house, and as he, in- as he increases the number of concubines, uh, his uh, wife Moon, played by Wakana Hikaru, feels neglected as uh, Shimen chooses to play with Lotus instead on the swing and all. <laughs> uh, when <laughs> when that opens the movie, when he steals away Pinky, played by Uihara Kaira, from her husband, yet another one is uh, left uh, in the background and the final concubine in this intrigue, Plum, played by Winnie Lung, the sole Hong Kong actress that does, she shows her butt on screen, but she doesn't do uh, nudity, she doesn't show her breasts. She may be the one that sets in motion the downfall, uh, Plum, that is. So yeah, I'll, I'll do my brief opinion first of all, The Forbidden Legend, Sex and Chopsticks to... Uh, it doesn't possess a whole lot of depth, uh, but in the end, uh, it displays, uh, you know, it's a a difference compared to when it could have been made back in the 90s, that is. So, because now nowadays we're in an era we were then, in when this was made, but nowadays we're still in an era in Hong Kong cinema with more spit and polish. And uh, the film sort of takes, takes that uh, to heart, being born in this era, focusing on past sensibilities right so the series stands out i think because cash chin allows it to be pushed into logical sexual explicit territories with the background themes as i said of power consummation uh, you know and it's in this movie it's played out surprisingly effective on the small scale i think it's not a goofy movie as such uh, but i think uh, the darkness is decently affected I, I think it's a worthy conclusion to um to it all um, might be jarring for people who got used to the tone of the first one to right. realize that this takes a serious left turn if this were back to the future too and it was like a year apart from one another and like you went to the movies and you saw the first movie and then 
you come back a year later, you're going in for the next one, and then you find out, like, you know, because the, the sequence at the end of the first movie with him basically, you know, taking part in murder only lasts about 35 minutes, something like that. So then, you know, you're not going to remember that out of a 90 minute movie, you know, especially when most sex scenes are like six minutes long anyway. So you come back a year later and you've got this fucking character who's just not only sex obsessed now, but like obsessed with like ruining people's lives, beating people for money. You know, it's like he's a total, almost a totally different person. He's more of a gangster too, right. uh, partially. Yeah. So, but they, uh, as for your short opinion, though, before we get, before we go any further, is it um, conclusion wise good or bad? Well, you know, I like that Doc fell in love with uh, the Christ. character, and we got to see that part of his, <laughs> you know, character. Because, you know, like, I love how they set it up and like, I think, part two, where he says, Oh, Marty, you know, I'm going to go back in time, and I'm going to uh, find out that other great, uh, what a mystery of life, women. You know? And that, that whole thing just sets up the whole thing. So I think it's great. I think it's uh, underrated. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, this I'm, one, I'm not yeah, going to indulge you in that one. We're going to get back on track. <laughs> I don't know. I, th- I think the other film proves to be much more watchable. This one has perhaps the greater set pieces. You know, this one has a, a very violent finale. So, you know, it has that sort of thing going for it. Like, oh, wow, you know, things get crazy. There's more come in this one, you know. But differentiating them so drastically, I think, might be an issue. I think watching them back to back is the best way to do it, so you really get the full, you know, understanding of the story and what they're going for here. Because you need to do this part of the story. I don't know if the book was light in tone for the first fifty mm-hmm. chapters. If we were talking halves, <laughs> fifty right? chapters. I mean, it was a one hundred. So let's just simplify it. Like maybe by chapter fifty-one, that's where the uh, this movie picks up. Who knows? With a hundred chapters, I'm sure that they're you know able to slowly introduce more and more like evil aspects of this character. I think that it's a needed, a necessary part of the story, and I think that you know it's a good continuation of the story. But like, just like watching any movie that has a rise and fall, the fall is often uh, the downer part of the movie. You know. Like, you know, when you think of Goodfellas, you know, you think of all the awesome sequences with, you know, the, the camera going throughout the club, showing off the prestige. Yeah, you think of Tony Montana and Push It to the Limits and that whole sequence with the money and everything. The bit where they go to New York and try to kill that family in the car and everything. I mean, that's the stuff that you're kind of like, yeah, it's needed, but, you know, you you did have more fun with the first half. Same, same with Boogie Nights, man. I mean, it's all tailored off the... After, Rise and fall. You know, exactly, as even Scorsese. So, but but we get some light stuff initially here because oh, in voice voiceover a little bit again. Essentially, Simon Chiang is saying, "I'm a sex addict and it's awesome. I can stay <laughs> in my big house and fuck all day and it's awesome." I can throw grapes, and my girlfriend can peel the skin off of grapes with her vagina. Absolutely, everything is awesome. But you know, for. 15 minutes at least in this movie <laughs> but it, it, you know it, it all plays into the downfall and obsession and consummation of all things lust uh, you know including now let's play with food man <laughs> but, but I, I've never thought the, the movie or certainly that's probably true for the book that it was targeting sex you know and lust it was more you know obsession uh, wealth and power you know the upper class if anything so I, I think that's a distinction to make 
And um, or what or what do you think? I might as well ask uh, that opinion. Do you think it's targeting sex as it's critici- criticism or is it the other thing? Uh, no, I think that the sex is there for sure, just as part of a continuation of the story and continuation of the exploitation angle. But uh, you know, that this one thing about these two movies that you know it is they are sex exploitation movies, but at the same time they do have a very engaging plot. You do invest in these characters, even if it's minimally. The the number one reason to watch these movies isn't the sex. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, it's not really de- destined to be deep and poignant like the book maybe was. I don't think Cash Chin has that in him, but he is depicting the spiral clearly in a commercial category free movie. You know, it's it's designed to have gloom and other moods plus the sexuality about it, uh, but also plus the professionalism is still shining strong you know ross clarkson is again shooting like even the swing scene with him throwing the berries into her vagina and her you know (laughs) shooting them out or even him throwing them in her (laughs) the sound effects it's like a naughty circus act man and uh you know and everything is awesome from both perspectives like he likes lotus lotus likes him so that's uh, it's all good man but uh he he gets he's more easily bored of uh of people uh, you know it's it's uh it's similar beats if you will in the like in the um the the novel sex and sen and your point sen 2 was based on you know he, he moves on you know the new women and gaining more gaining more but where you're gonna end where where's the point where you say you're satisfied and these characters in these novels and movies they're never satisfied uh, so uh they're, they're free with their sexuality in a damaging way but that's not due to the sexuality that's based on their morals and ethics if anything it's also destined to be a more contained movie because the first one contained a larger lifespan it has that threat that are we going to stay in the same house for 90 minutes and is it going to be you know, sexual filler and then some violence towards the end? I think that's a genuine concern, but I think the, the movie in Cash Chin does well, you know, varying it up, despite the stories uh, contained to a smaller span of time, Yeah, you know. So, any thoughts on that in terms of uh, spending so much uh, time... Uh, with the similar characters and uh, less of a less of a plot. Yeah, I, th- I think it uh, it's another way for the movie to differentiate itself. The first movie you had that whole bit with the character leaving home and traveling. We get all these different you know sets and different set pieces. And this next movie, it all seems to kind of take place in and around the same area. You know, sure you have the torture chamber that's visited and like different parts of this small local community, but everything's kind of kept uh, isolated which kind of gives the entire movie a different vibe i think that's what he's doing too he's not really a community man by now and i mean he has his money he can sort of throw them in front of him and gain influence easily that way some but someone will take that money to someone <laughs> you know he'd rather stay inside because now he has that dark sexual desire you know bondage and snm and he's a skillful not Tire, if you will, <laughs> because he put, you know, he pulls out that, uh, you know, it looks like present, uh, like, uh, uh, you know, those things that you wrap presents with, and he yeah. pulls it out in bed. I want to try this. Smash cut to Lotus is tied up so skillfully, you know, with the with with the with the rope, uh, the red rope going under there, under there, in between her legs. Very da-da-da. Japanese, very uh, Roman porno. <laughs> Who knows? The ladies might have done that on film before, so it was not a like a, yeah. a difficult sell or anything. Yeah, but uh, 
I, I do dig the darker tone though because now he starts sharing her against her will and it's I mean I'm not I don't dig it because I think it's uh, compelling but I think uh, uh, in terms of, like this is a cool behavior uh, absolutely not but I I like the sort of now his giddy enthusiasm that's clearly someone's out of control by shown as he shares her against her will you know it's one of the two three occasions that happens in the movie and yeah that hit the right spot for me because it's it's all of a sudden stopped being sort of fun between two people who are, have consented to to bondage in S&M and now someone is uh, forced into something against their will. The, the whole movie, the second part, the second movie becomes, it focuses a great deal on manipulation and things of that sort, you know, because like we get these very intricate like plots developed against one another, like uh, the character... The, you know, Simon develops this plan to get Hua's wife. Hua is one of his, like, partners, basically. Depend, like, the movie is very uh, episodic, and depending on which episode, which wife he's going after, which concubine he's going after, he'll switch up as, you know, right-hand man. Either it's Hua or it's uh, Simon Long. Bamboo is called, by the way, apparently. <laughs> Bamboo, yes. Bamboo. Bamboo and Hua. So he goes back and forth between these characters, and Hua eventually marries Pinky, correct? He marries Pinky, and Pinky looks just like the prostitute who visited uh, him and taught him about sex when uh, it was Simon when he was younger. So he develops this plan, oh, I'll get Hua to have sex with my uh, wife, uh, Lotus, I believe, uh, while she's taint, you know, chained up, or not chained up, but like tied up, and uh, then I'll... You know, make it look like those two are having an affair and maybe having a lover's quarrel by having a note sent to Hua to meet my wife at this place. And I'll tell his wife, Pinky, to go see. And she goes to visit, sees the two have a little argument because uh, Lotus really isn't interested. And that leads to Hua being beaten by I think uh, guards of yeah well, uh, well higher fucks really I mean uh, yeah yeah, yeah. It, and so that leads to you know and it's like very intricate very detailed very movie villain and then we get a finale which is just as detailed and uh, bizarre you know so everybody's manipulating everyone in this movie I mean even that scene where he's in the bandages and he's giving him the aphrodisiac while he's mm-hmm. having sex with his wife it's sort of that goes on, but I think uh, Kastian argues for the fact that this should go on because this is uh, cringeworthy stuff for dark. You know, I mean, aphrodisiac, as we've established, you know, it doesn't work that way. But you know, <laughs> he, he, inside, Hua is probably feeling that they are, he wants to just strangle that motherfucker, but he's been fed aphrodisiac, so he's licking his tongue and he's aroused and all of that. So I don't know. I've seen more heinous stuff on film, of course, but I think the dark tone. Still fairly effective, and uh, you be- you sort of believe Oscar Lamb's more goofy exterior can hold a dark character. Uh, I-, I think he's well cast uh, for that purpose. He's not, as I said, classically good looking or anything. I think they attempt to make him a little too pretty in the film. You know, I think I, they, I, like... don't, I don't know about that though, because I think he he's he's uh, for me anyway. I think he's he has this exterior 
that works way better for this movie because now he's this sort of out of control giddy kid. You know, <laughs> let's uh-huh. let's uh, tie tie and you go in there and uh, do it better, do it better, like have sex better. You know, he's he's so out of control. So I don't know. I I I I didn't see the pretty angle necessarily. <laughs> if I, I just literally like physically, they make him very pretty. Like uh, you know, he's got uh, eyeliner on when you really look close at him and everything like that. I think he looks so pristine throughout the entire movie all the way up until the finale. I don't know. I guess it suits the character, but uh, I think, I don't know, a slightly more gritty look at times would have probably fared better. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. That, that, that That's valid, absolutely. You know, if, if we talk how, how the sex scenes are shot again, uh, because we we got two people, I mean an entire crew, of course, but if we focus on Cash and Ross Clarkson again, we got, we got two people here that take their time shooting you know, even fake humping with some kind of dedication right. to, to it. It's not just, it's not cheap as such. And uh, it's even character driven to an extent, even story driven, as I said, that scene with the aphrodisiac. So it's, uh, I didn't find many filler scenes in this one as I found one or two in the first one to just sort of extend it to 93 minutes. Both movies are like almost exactly the same length, like 93. I know. <laughs> like almost like... Now we're done. <laughs> if, if, if we cut some of these sex scenes down, I wonder what we could get the movie edited to by putting them together. Yeah, maybe two and a half hours or something like that. Yeah. Uh, would would be a problem, I think. I think uh, one one full movie could have um, could have been a decent experiment, I suppose. Uh, the voiceover comes back. I didn't. I wasn't bothered by it as such. I mean, it acts sort of as transitions in the story, like whenever he marriages them in uh, his uh, you know, red room, <laughs> you know, a mix of sort of Argento and Lynch in one, yeah. that, those marriage scenes, because they're sort of, they're, they're designed to be, they're not happy-go-lucky scenes, it's almost like, we got another one. Yeah, it becomes, and it becomes darker as it goes along to the final sequence, where he actually slaps Lotus, you know, to the ground during it, you know, it, it, but it's very dreamy the entire, you know, every time he gets a new concubine, there's back to this, you know, sequence where everybody's like putting on fake smiles and what have you, yeah, it's dark. Well, what else is there to say? Well, the concubines, they they, they get a little bit more exposure, I suppose, because they're, they're now a more key part of this, in the story. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily their whole, um, power struggle game not necessarily uh, uh, driven by depth i mean it's sort of it's said it happens and we get the violent conclusion so and and also they they are not necessarily the actresses for this so maybe they chose to reel that in and uh, not have them act too much because they, I, I mean they, they, they look great but there, there is an emotional breakdown with one of the japanese ladies and it's sort of soap opera acting Mm-hmm. They're good at what they do, and I'm not saying that in a dismissive way, but uh, you know, who knows if they consciously sort of reeled in the drama and, and got the beats in there instead. Like, uh, power struggle, someone wants revenge, uh, he's into bondage now, and Samuel Lung's gonna get kicked in the balls a couple of times in this movie. Too. <laughs> get, get those birds chimed up, let's get them ready. Uh, what should we talk of next? Well, even the, speaking of the concubines, even them are now getting into, you know, being addicted to pain in this sort of kinky fashion. You know, what, I think Lotus is like masturbating to someone getting tortured at one point. So he's, he's bringing them into this atmosphere and they're, for better or worse, they're becoming a little bit 
like him or even force themselves to be like him because they know what he's into so we must be into it as well but they are button pushers again her masturbation scene it's obviously it's softcore we all know that but it's a bit more daring than i'm used to when i'm watching all these mid-90s movies and true i like that i mean they, they that they're allowed to push the limits a little bit more because i can't spot many cuts in this movie right the hands are in the right areas you know you're not seeing anything explicit like kind of but the hands do cover the right areas and make the right motions. We got actor Lee Kinyan in this movie. Um, he plays the uh, the doctor that helps out uh, Winnie Lung perform an operation on her in order to set up the whole poison <laughs> thing. Uh, Lee Kinyan is uh, he has been in a couple of Stephen Chow movies. He's the, always the nose picking transvestite, <laughs> and he does that in this movie too. Have you any theory about why he's dubbed by a woman though? No clue. Because he, he, he he's not supposed to play a woman. He's got a wife, but and he, he, he looks like a man. It's not like he isn't in um, in drag like he is in the Stephen Chow movies uh, where he's picking his nose and stuff. I would love to know. I'm kind of interested. It's not like he's this uh, demon or anything, you know, gender-changing demon or anything. It's like, like in Sex and Zen 3D. Exactly. But, but I, yeah, I have no clue. It's like he just, at first, when I first heard his voice, it's like, wait, was that a woman? And then I'm like, yeah, that that's a woman. What the fuck? <laughs> no clue. I yeah, it's sort of a comedic little bit in the movie, but not overly broad. It's just so it, they don't play it like, look at us, we dumped him as a woman, that's funny. <laughs> it's not really that. It's strangely straight, that's it. Uh-huh. Who knows? Maybe he operated on himself, the character. <laughs> he does know? pick his nose at one point. Though. Yeah, exactly. So it's sort of like, up. Oh, that's the guy. And when he, when he flicks the booger, I think it makes a bong noise. <laughs> yeah. uh, even in those Stephen Chow movies, like uh, he he appears very quickly in uh, briefly in them. You know, in mm-hmm. Shaolin Soccer, he's the um, he's the character that uh, Vicky Chow visits and gets the makeover uh, mm-hmm. with him, and then she appears. You know, in a latter scene, she looks so different. It's a crazy makeover, and, and like God of Cookery, he turns up as like a fan or something. He's running in slow motion, picking his nose, and Stephen Chow just whacks him across the room. <laughs> you know that. that kind of cartoony humor so you've seen Lee Kinyan uh, as uh, that um, walk on part and then uh, you know out 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 of the frame he goes so uh, uh, Winnie Lung as I said the, the sole Hong Kong actress uh, here who doesn't do nudity as you know her bondage scene her her bits are covered up uh, you know strategically but I love the audio design and jump cuts in that scene uh, where her, her almost scary sort of blank face looking at Shimon, Shimon or Simon as he's tied her up, where he, she's almost trying to break down his exterior and defenses by saying that this is not affecting me. Yeah. You're not going to get to me now. <laughs> so. And she like kind of manipulates him into having sex with her rather than giving her to his lackey, Bamboo, you know. Mm-hmm. She she sets uh, in uh, motion that revenge uh, stories. So, was that engaging at all, or was it uh, like standard revenge stuff only highlighted because it gets so like only not highlighted but only uh, more intense and memorable because of the violent places it goes? I mean, is it is it a good revenge story as such, or is it more? It could have been. I feel like uh, the early part of the movie that sets up her relationship with uh, uh, Simon, and then it doesn't make sense with both the sequence at the beginning with like the farmhouse and the character, the brother that comes to get revenge or what have you, 
her relationship with him versus her relationship with Simon, it, it doesn't gel together, you know? Like, either either she was manipulating Simon from the whole time or she was manipulating the other guy, you know? When you watch the movie, people, you'll understand. But, yeah, it, the movie tries to give you no red herrings or anything like that to, you know, give away this plot twist at the end. And by doing so, it kind of, like, just becomes illogical. But I do like the finale. I do like the, you know, outrageous violence and direction the movie goes. You know, it's really shocking. And I mean, it's supposed to reach a crescendo, this story, and it certainly does. I mean, even before we get to that, I, I, I think Cash is good at making us... Uh, we we don't we don't sit there idly watching some goofy and dark shit, but it gets genu- uh, genuinely uncomfortable in certain mm-hmm. scenes, even before the um, the finale, you know, uh, because he gets heinous and vindictive. Simon, you know, he uh, he uses uh, rape as payback, as an example, right. you know, and uh, that that's genuinely like just man, like that that's now the character. If he wasn't lost before. Then now it's just uh, just completely gone, and now he's out of control. I mean, even like here, Cash mixes comedy because I think in the scene where he wants Bamboo Samuel Lung's character to have sex with the one he's tied up, I think he's gotten kicked like the minute before in the box, right, yeah, and yeah. still asked to get in there and do it well, like do it properly. And he goes, "My little dicky still hurts." <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course, he's got a little dicky, that scrawny scroll, looking yes. guy. Good actor, though. I mean, he is actually a good actor. Uh, he's not this like goof that they uh, sort of invite to movie sets and laugh at. You know, he, he can bring, <laughs> he, can, he can bring some stuff. He, he did a movie, uh, one of his first movies, Lost Boys in Wonderland. It's a youth drama. He was very good in that. But uh, we we said we were spoiled, so don't worry about uh, giving details about what happens. I mean, is is this the best stretches of the two movies? Like the that's this really heinous darkness that is as sexual as it is obviously uh, dark and bloody or what's your fourth in general of uh, the simultaneous events that goes on as characters uh, it's definitely the most memorable sequence in the film the uh, gratuitous violence that comes out during the finale (laughs) essentially we have the character starts off by taking these pills that his father gave him near the beginning of the film that are supposed basically um Dick pills, you know, essentially make you hard. Did you learn that in school? Yeah, dick pills, yeah. <laughs> it's the first thing you learn in school. Now I'm going to go on a tangent. It's like, these are dick pills, and then we bring in the Jerry Seinfeld bit that I love. Like, like I don't think they teach you anything in, in doctor school, medical school, other than like, here's the body, and here's the tube that goes down the stomach area, and that's pretty much all we know. <laughs> So that concludes day one, people. Tomorrow you're going to learn how to make people wait in their underwear, and then you'll all be doctors. <laughs> <laughs> like, why does that doctor even have his little office? I guess he doesn't want to... Uh, that's Jerry, Jerry Seinfeld again. He, I guess he doesn't want anybody to see him looking up stuff. Like, oh my god, that was kind of gross. <laughs> I haven't seen that one before. That wasn't the tube or the circle. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got this Viagra, basically. This uh, 1600... <laughs> Viagra. He takes two of them instead of his one, so he's already like off to a right. A tough and he's start, also right? poisoned by this. He's gonna get poisoned because the the doctor Lee King Yan uh, reinstates or like a plum Winnie Lung's character's uh, hymen. Is that what he said? 
yeah, yeah. To, to to make it appear that she's uh, still a virgin, right? So, so, so I guess he puts poison in there. So he's still like the day after he's had sex with her. His face is all like a little bit like silver-like and puffed up. So he's got something in him already. And then, as you said, what happens is like he goes to plumb, and she's she says, "Oh, lick this off of my body," and it's the aphrodisiac that's supposed to, after three days, kill you. But he had already taken, I think, one pill at that point. So he licks this stuff off of her, and she leaves a note that says something like, the lust is going to be the sword that kills you. I can't remember exactly what it said, but to that effect. It's the moral of the story in a note there, essentially. Yeah, and he, and he can't, at that point, he's like, oh, i got to fuck something. So he goes and he finds Lotus, and uh, they begin you know, some very you know, violent sex together. Wilt's doing that, you know, he gets so into it, he takes another one of his pills. Now he's got two of his Viagra pills, plus this other stuff that's supposed to guarantee his death in his body. Yeah, meanwhile, uh, we have uh, Moon in another room who is, um, you know, masturbating. And, uh, you know, I... I, She was given something, though, because she... she, she, Because, like, I didn't see the sequence where she was given anything. It's a little bit um, underplayed, but she is... She has been given something because she can't stop... she goes mad. Exactly, she can't stop masturbating, and uh, poor Samuel uh, Lung gets in the way of her as well. Plum brings uh, bamboo to the room while she's feverishly masturbating. They begin to have sex... She bites uh, Bamboo's penis off, which, you know, splurts blood everywhere. And then she takes a dildo, which she begins to masturbate with so much that blood starts spraying everywhere. And in the other room, we have Simon and uh, the other girl having sex in such a feverish degree that eventually his penis just completely explodes into a giant uh, mist of blood that covers his body. And she... the And... uh, Lotus flies across the room and breaks her neck against the wall. Yeah, it's such a frenzied finale. Without any... It's evident it's done on a budget. But I think what they got through and like the spray of blood that just covers characters, I think is more than effective, actually. There's this uh, series, and this Japanese series called All Night Long. Essentially just really fucked up stories. And, you know, each one kind of begins like innocently enough or what have you or it begins with something terrible and then as the movie progresses each movie ends with like some kind of like people in a hotel uh, ultimate like battle royale and people murdering one another and you just end the movie with a whole bunch of dead bodies is it like uh, shot on video stuff akin to guinea pig or is it uh, proper movies it's it well both they're shot on video so they're really cheap but they are uh, real movies. There are real stories, and and much more thought put into them than just guinea pig type stuff. They're uh, ultimately like the the filmmaker said about the movies. I think that, uh, uh, and I think it's a quote in the third movie that all human beings are garbage. It's so that's he seems nice. It's the moral of the story. The ending of this reminded me of that series. Just like you know, we set all this up and this big commotion of violence happens, you know, and everybody's paid back for all the evil shit that they've done. And again, nothing terribly deep. It's the beats of the book, presumably, and that's what we have, but it's... Kashin sort of makes it, you know, going through one and two, that it's light and goofy, we're back in category three mode, movie mode, 
and we got switcheroo in terms of moods and it's not the biggest budgeted movie we've ever seen but it's all good fun it's fun to see and it's decently interesting to follow through especially that it actually takes such a wild leap from the sort of going good good times to yeah to what ultimately uh, was waiting for them at the end of this spiral. Uh, I, I stand by that. I, I have good fun, and I think the darkness is effective enough. But make no mistake about it, this is not uh, poignant in the movies anyway. It might be more poignant in the book. And mm-hmm. uh, But uh, its its goals are very clear, and the criticism I think is very valid. It's probably just because they sort of it's easy to extract that. They're not criticizing sex. They're criticizing, you know, the lust for wealth and power and how you consume and you can't stop cons- stop consuming very valid criticism but you know it's not uh, it's not going to make us think about this for months and months and months or anything they're, they're good as you said they're, there's exploitation movies they're exploitation movies they're meant for a certain crowd but there's still enough thought here for me where I I, I appreciate that that there was something uh, going on at least and uh, so, some sections of the celluloid here is fun crazy and uh quite crazily frenzied by by the end i mean uh, if anything i remember more the shot of the fake penis that hits hits the floor after she bites off uh, bamboo right. uh, it looks oh no <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing they kicked all throughout these uh three hours <laughs> so so yeah that, that's my final words on it all uh anything you want to say in summation uh interesting films uh they definitely make one cohesive whole and you know, as a whole, I think that they're uh, definitely worth watching. I think for you know fans of this type of thing, I wouldn't advise you know just average Joe to go pick these up off the you know DVD rack or what have you. I like chopsticks. I like sex. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's a big deal. No, it's just... you're gonna get two chopsticks and and a whole lot of sex. I do think that uh, overall, for mo- fans of these types of movies, I think it's. Uh, a good time and contains enough interesting and impactful moments, especially during the second part, that uh, it's worth uh, owning. And he clearly, when he went on to make 33D Invader, the touch was still there, uh, right. which makes me miss that, you know, there's not been anything since, uh, not anything announced as, a, as such. Um, it's not crazily easy to get these movies off the ground, I have a feeling. But um, I have a feeling that uh, if we get a 2016, 2017 movie from Cash Chain popping out, popping up out of nowhere, and if it's this kind of movie, I mean, he's done different throughout his career, it's going to be interesting per default. I'm willing to give it a shot. I have uh, his stock is that high with me, so um, uh, that's uh, pretty much it. So as for availability, it's the same uh, because um, it was released on DVD and Blu-ray. It was released in a dual pack. I don't know if a condom was in that dual Blu-ray pack or not, if, if it was only the single DVDs. That dual pack I couldn't find in print uh, or listed in as in stock, but uh, DDD House in Hong Kong has uh, had at least uh, stock status for individual Blu-ray releases for Sex and Chopsticks 1 and 2, so you, you should be able to get your hands on a copy if you so desire. But next time, let's uh, party with Herman Yao from 2007, like it's 1993 or something. As uh, in 2007, he returned with a Category 3 Black Magic movie starring Mark Cheng, and that was called Gong Tao, an Oriental Black Magic. A little, little gruesome number, actually. I've told you of the scene with um, 
uh, it's a puppet obviously but uh, you see a, a scene uh, of a baby on an autopsy table and uh, that baby has exploded from within essentially really gruesome puppet <laughs> so they, this movie doesn't fuck around but black magic movies that was uh, hong kong's bread and butter for uh, both the 70s and 80s where the shaw brothers or low budget hong kong movies or taiwanese movies like all those movies called something sorcery you know double sorcery blood sorcery sorcery whatever. it's impossible to keep them apart because a lot of them start the same goddamn people as well <laughs> you know, like, like uh, the actor Quan Hoi San he plays the, the mob boss in Hard Boil that Tony Lung's character kills yeah. uh, in, in, the, in the warehouse with all the motorcycles that uh, veteran actor Quan Hoi San he often turned up in these sorcery movies so it's impossible to keep track of them Ku Feng often as well but uh, <laughs> regardless uh, Gong Tao and Oriental Black Magic I think it's uh, going to be a fun watch and we also watch in uh, the other movie an earlier movie Loletta Lee Oh, Rachel Lee, go from cute girl in a variety of 80s movies like Happy Ghost and things like that to a nude girl in a variety of 90s movies as we look at Crazy Love, a.k.a. The Fruit is Ripe, which uh, has nothing to do with cash chins, the fruit is swelling. They sort of just continue what the fruit is, maybe in English and Chinese, you know, a variation of it. But it's not another category-free big or anything. It's more a girl is pursuing the world, looking for love and getting naked in the process. Of course. You know, so Loletta Lee's career uh, changed from her earlier career as she uh, as she grew up. So we'll we'll have a look at that just for uh, for for sake of reference to see Loletta Lee get it on. <laughs> <laughs> it's all legal, by the way. She she wasn't young at that point. Like in in the mid eighties, she was, but uh, by nineteen ninety three, she was uh, legal. So it's no there, there's no Tracy Lords thing going on here where she did no, these movies and God. was underage. But uh, regardless, uh, we'll uh, conclude this one. Uh, this has been This Week in Sleaze on the Podcast on Fire Network. And uh, we are located on podcastonfire.com where you'll find this show and all our other shows, including bonus episodes. Let us know on email what you thought of these movies if you did see them. Podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Uh, follow us to our social media following uh, using the buttons at the top of our, of our website. So go check us out on Facebook, Twitter. We have uh, obviously a feed on iTunes. So subscribe, rate and comment on that and stream us on Stitcher radio as well and i write about uh, the forbidden legend sex and chopsticks kind of movies over at sogoodreviews.com and uh, a variety of other genres i video review on the site sleazykvideo.com and my twitter is at sogoodreviews and shelf life clothing thank you as always to brian for helping out this show and uh, he deserves your business definitely shelflifeclothing.com no he, he you know he, he's got a category free t-shirt i even got that on so uh, you can buy something that represents the genre rating label that it has uh, become. I mean, some people treated it as treated it as a genre and sort of a label when some people didn't realize it was a rating. <laughs> so it's all, but I guess that's because it became iconic in its own way. So uh, your plugs again. What podcast do you do when you're not on this podcast? The Trashy Trio. Google us. You can find the podcast. Look for look for Mr. Scarface in the future. Okay, let's stop the fucking and hope again. Catch Chin is preparing something for us because he's still got the cat-free touch. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> no singing. <laughs> 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 no, it's all good, he's man. Got the touch. I always thought that was a made-up song for Boogie Nights. I didn't know of the Transformers soundtrack. But but it makes sense. Like Paul Thomas Anderson said, like Boogie Nights is one entire ripoff. Really, I mean, it, the opening of his commentary track 
for Boogie Nights. You're listening to a guy who learned a lot about ripping off movies from watching commentaries on Laserdisc. <laughs> so he's all up front with it. So, uh, so no wonder. Like, take that song. Don't acknowledge that they're covering Transformers. Like, uh, let's just make up that Dirk Diggler wrote that song and performs that song and it sounds as awful as uh, as, as, as it does in the raw studio take <laughs> like in some of the deleted scenes they're like so coked up and they're walking back and forth behind Michael Penn what you take it up and like so there, there's some deleted scenes and just watch Michael Penn's stone face despite John C. Riley dancing around him and trying to make him laugh. <laughs> because uh, M- Michael is not an actor. I mean, he's, uh, his brother is Sean Penn, but Michael is not an actor. He's a, he's a singer-songwriter. So they managed to, uh, you know, for the movie anyway, finally uh, get uh, get him all stone-faced and in, like, disbelief that he's working working with these guys. <laughs> and at the time, John, John C. Riley's like, probably best known at that point as being, like, the guy who helped rape that woman in Casualties of War. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, he, he, I mean, Paul told that story. He first saw him in Casualties of War and just knew he wanted to be his best friend for some <laughs> reason. <laughs> but also, he says that he's the person that John, that is, uh, Paul talked to me and said that he's the person that just makes me howl with laughter until I can't take it anymore because mm-hmm. he's a crazy good um, improviser. Yes. I've been Slice King, and with me was great, the great Lord Joshua Regal. Go find some chopsticks, Joshua, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> 